Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash smartest for your free audiobook download. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Proof. Yeah. Fuck the Herald Angel Sing. It's the fabulous Christmas edition. It's the Proofmas vodcast emanating live from the kosherie here in the uh, salubrious back room of the commodious bar Lubitsch on Santa Monica Boulevard, where it's Fistmas all year long across from the pleasure chest and where the chandeliers and the nudes once again scream, Hark ye, the holidays are upon us. Born ye in the city of David as a savior. Unless you're in show business, then it's just a week off. <laughs> And no savior born at all. So, <clears throat> excuse me, happy holidays, everyone. As my understanding is, it's that Toys R Us time of year. It certainly is here in Los Angeles. Uh, I just got back from London, and no, I don't have an accent. Uh, funny how I can go there. I even lived there for five years, and I don't have any English accent at, at all. Uh, Madonna moved there about a week later. It was like, I'm going down to the garden to have a cup of tea. And you're like, hey, Mary Poppins, when did you fucking swing in on your umbrella and shit? How weak is your personality that you morph into... Whatever happens around you. Could, does that mean I could take you to the Amazon and you'd have a plate through your nose and a fucking spear in your ear and be coaxing a monkey down from a tree using gook gook talk or whatever? And Jimmy, I mean, honestly, maintain your personality when you go elsewhere. Uh, it's, it's fun not to be a tourist. It's fun to be a traveler. But, uh, but talking like them... It, it's like when, when white people talk to black people and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're like, really? You think doing Eddie Murphy in Trading Places is making you, is getting you bonus points with people of oppressed minorities? I think not. I think not. Mm. But anyway, happy Christmas and Merry New Year and Chappy Chinook and Kickin' Kwanzaa and uh, awesome solstice. If you're a witch, I know Beltane's over, but uh, the solstice is always an awesome time of year to get in touch with the spirits that walk the earth unseen to the rest of us. Uh, the ones that manipulate our souls and make the iron pyrite in our bodies go from one side to the other, therefore com com you know, uh, communicating that insane pendulum swing that we get during the holiday season where people are utterly kind and so nice and reach into their pockets and give their change and put it in the bucket and at the same time cut me off in the grocery store parking lot and call me a cocksucker um, within the same nano breath and same micro-emotional instant. That's what makes the holidays so great. And it's only the stars we have to blame for that. I was flying on... And I don't mean the Hollywood stars. I was, blame, I was flying on, uh, 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 to England and back and I, I flew from Atlanta on uh, British Airways and... Mm, British Airways, as you know, has a slogan that we don't care, we don't have to. And... Um, then I flew back on Virgin, whose new slogan is, your seat's like a casket. Um, <laughs> you'll sleep the sleep of the damned. Your, your neck will hurt. Your back will be achy. You'll feel fetid and swollen. Your tongue will blow up like a, a snake has been put inside your mouth. It's as if you're being tortured by medieval people in Timbuktu. Hey, Portuguese traveler, why did you come around the horn? To be staked to the ground? That's what their slogan is. Um, it's long and unwieldy, but it's, it, it works for me. So I was given food. I, I hesitate to call it food. I was given stuff that was, you were supposed to eat on the plane on both ends of the trip. And as you know, plain food has gone right off the map. 9-11, uh, uh, besides being a conspiracy that John Lennon did from a van with a monkey and George Bush and, a, and Dick Cheney's penis and all that, we know how it works. Um, 
Aside from all that, the other thing that 9-11 did was make sure the airlines were never, ever, ever going to be friendly or give good service again or serve you anything you could eat no matter what you fucking cried for. Uh, in the old days, everyone got a hot meal, even in economy. Everyone, listen to me, we, flying from San Francisco to Los Angeles, everyone got a hot meal, even in economy. Everyone on the plane. And the plane tickets didn't cost a bajillion dollars and the airlines didn't go broke. But they can't do it now because they don't fucking want to, is why they don't want to. They want to give you a box of cardboard and make you eat that box because <laughs> what's in the box is so irretrievably vile that there's no question you're going to eat that in any case I had to smile a little bit uh, as I was in my uh, seat pinioned uh, in my British Airways flight um, because they gave us these and they're called gammon the, first of all the flavor this will give you an idea of what English airlines think humans want to put inside them <laughs> gammon and mustard flavor with the O-U-R Gammon and mustard flavor mini pretzels. Greg, I have a question. Yes, audience? What's gammon? I'm glad you asked. I was sent from my planet by my father, Jarrell, to help you here on Earth, not to hinder you in any way or to show off my superpowers, but rather to live amongst you and make your life easier. So I'm here to explain what gammon is. It's a type of rock that lives in a cave. It's part of the chlorine family. It's a cemetery rock. Gammon is ham. Why don't they call it ham and mustard flavor? Because if they called it ham and mustard flavor, you'd be even more barfed out than you already are. Gammon at least gives it some sort of elusive exclusivity, some sort of exotic uh, quality, some sort of Englishness that you couldn't possibly hope to understand, like beef and tomato flavored crisps or, uh, or that weird pink soap that has the label in the middle of it. There's a label in the middle of it that doesn't come out even as you use it. Yeah, I know. It's like Russia in the 20s and shit, except in Russia it was a tooth. Um, this, is, this is from baby. This is how you know it's fresh. Everyone like. Everyone like. When only the tooth is left, no more soap. Gammon, not only is gammon a type of ham, and it's not a very good type of ham either. I have to say, there's smoked ham and hickory ham, Virginia ham, and every kind of ham, right? And all the German hams, the Westphalian ham, uh, the ham that oppresses the, the Swiss. Uh, there, there's the, the ham that makes all the knishes get out of the dairy case, that ham. Uh, that's, po that's pogrom ham. And, uh, oh, it's the holidays, Greg, really? Yeah. Oh, there's no jokes like Jew jokes at the holidays. And uh, no, gammon is like a real fatty kind of ham, but it's also a 19th century word that means bullshit in English slang. English, if you read all-time no uh, British novels, they'll say, oh, that's, that's gammon, right? Meaning that's bush. But th uh, even getting through all of what we've gotten through with the gammon and mustard things, and now that we've gotten through that together, it's the, um, it's the title of the, uh, 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 the name of the product Rather, the, the brand name of the gammon and mustard flavor mini pretzels. I, I wish you could see it. It's so small, but I'm going to pass it around. But I'll just read it to you because at this time of year, I've cramped in my plane, kind of high. I, I had to laugh, and I hope you will too, when you note that these are Penn State brand. <laughs> they stay crispy in the shower. This bone-in ham sure hurts, Mr. Sandusky. Put more mustard on it, Kippy. You're poor. You should be glad you're getting anything to put in your mouth. 
I wanted you to see it just so you could verify that that is in fact Penn State brand. If there was really a brand that you were going to take off the market for a brief time so that Americans wouldn't snicker up their sleeve and laugh like school children behind everyone's back when they're handed them out on the plane and I laughed behind the flight attendant's back. <laughs> uh, it would be Penn State. Uh, yeah, why not have like WikiLeaks brand fucking headphones? The kind where you're sure to hear something intimate and dangerous. No one's supposed to know this but you. Mm. Uh, yeah, Penn State gammon and mustard. Yucky. Well, then again, I, I adore English people, and I adore, uh, they have so much going for them as far as a sense of humor. As far as a country goes, wow. Uh, it's cold, and there's shit everywhere, and they serve pizza with sweet corn on it. So they have some, they have some issues. Uh, but a sense of humor, boom, they've got it going on. It was amazing fun uh, going over there. And I'll be back. Uh, I will one day. But I, I didn't get to go to Paris, and I wished I did, because they have a train that goes from London to Paris. And when you take it, uh, when you get on the train in London at uh, St. Pancras, I think it is, it used to be Waterloo. Waterloo was like taking the train from the, the set of RoboCop. There would always be, yeah, there was like a, a human head on a stick. No, it was a Escape from New York. Ernest Borgnine, get in! You know, like you, there was a, just, there was always a garbage fire going on and people warming themselves by it. And then a bottle fight of some kind. And then blackness on the walls that you couldn't determine where the blackness had come from, whether it was just stuff that had seeped out of the walls or shit that had caught on to the walls. Uh, now they've moved into St. Pancras. So the food you get on the, on the train to France is uh, dire, as it would be. It's like English food. It, you know, it's a piece of bread, but it like, you know, sh uh, this bread, it's got mold on it. Mold's not extra, you know, and you're like, okay. <laughs> and then on the way back from France, uh, salmon, wine, everything, fantastic. They do a little, they dance. There's Cancan uh, Coquille Saint-Jacques. No, there isn't, but there should be. Uh, but I didn't get to go to Paris, but I wanted to bring up something that happened in Paris this week because it's Christmas and it's time for it's a time for passing as well as a time for babies that are born with light up heads and pigs dance in the manger I mean uh, George Whitman the legendary founder of the Paris bookshop and literary institution Shakespeare and Company passed Wednesday he was 98 well done if you've ever been to Paris uh, down near the, uh, the Seine uh, in the French Quarter is it is that where Shakespeare is um, it's right down near the river. There's a ramshackle bookstore there, and George Whitman's lived there for a thousand years, literally. Uh, he was 98 years old. It's called Shakespeare and Company. Lots of English books, right? Mostly all in English. Uh, and it's a fant every time I've been there, I've just loved it. And the thing about Shakespeare and Company is it's a real proper bookstore. Um, not that Borders wasn't a proper bookstore. <laughs> it had a coffee shop and a CD section and hilarious greeting cards. Uh, but you never saw writers living there on the floor, which you did at Shakespeare and Company. They also made pancakes on Sunday morning, which I think one article described as if you were brave enough to eat breakfast there on Sunday. Because when the pancakes were done, they used the batter to stick shit to the walls and put the, the floor back down and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I'm the, I, I, one person found that funny. Everybody else, of course they did, Greg. It's called economy. Uh, people left notes and flowers. His daughter's running the place. It isn't going to close, so don't freak out, as if anyone ha was. Uh, Sylvia, um, over the years, Whitman sheltered f about 50,000 young, struggling writers for free. Uh, right in the shop if they needed a roof. And I read so many stories today about people who just pitched up there and went, I need, a, I need somewhere to stay. And he'd go, 
Are you a writer? And they go, I'm one guy. I'm an editor. I love that. How, can you imagine the balls of going to Paris, showing up at a bookstore, saying to the famous guy who owns the bookstore, can I have a place to stay? And then when he says, are you a writer? Go, I'm an editor. Oh, perfect, because we have two writers over here. Get to work on their shit immediately. <laughs> no, but I'm self-published. I have a roll of toilet paper in my own human blood. If I could have the bathroom for half an hour, I think I could knock out a short story that would knock your socks off. Uh, 50,000 struggling writers wanted to save a franc or just had ideas of... That'll give you an idea how long ago. Save a franc. Or uh, books and hankering for a certain bohemian way of life. All they had to do is exchange a few work hours in the shop, write a one-page biography, and provide their picture. Uh, an idea born out of Whitman's attempt to appease French authorities who wanted to know why he was running a hotel... Uh, on the left bank of the Seine. He kept them all, all the letters, and, uh, and he called them tumbleweeds. Uh, my favorite one was uh, they just put in, uh, because of the daughter's urging, a cash register. <laughs> yeah, that's what makes it awesome. A 17th century two-story apartment into a labyrinth of soft-lit, teetering bookshelves, winding stairs, a library, stacks of well-read life magazines, and cushy benches that turns into bed at night for the tumbleweeds. Tea and pancake brunches were served every weekend to anyone brave or hungry enough. After brunch, the leftover, mysteriously thick pancake batter was used as glue to repair peeling floor rugs. <laughs> he once threw a book out of the second floor window at a customer below because he thought they might enjoy reading it. He used to light people's hair on fire to save them the trouble of paying for a haircut. After all, he'd been using the same technique on himself for years. He came from East Orange, New Jersey. Uh, I know someone from New Jersey here tonight, so there's still hope. There's still hope, even if you're from, uh, what is it? Un Underwood, Cherry Hill, Secaucus. Uh, Secaucus, which is as fun to say as it is to live in, I think. Uh, he couldn't refuse anyone a roof. Sylvia Whitman lived with and cared for her father in his final years. She added a cash register and a telephone despite stiff protests from regulars. <laughs> Fantastic. It's going to carry on. And this was the part that excited me beyond all measure. George Whitman was a nice person. Um, my wife used to work at City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco where Lawrence Ferlinghetti uh, still is and is about the same age, a little younger than him. And they were good friends. The best part of um, getting a book at... Um, uh, a Shakespeare and Company was I think I bought yeah this will tell you where I'm coming from my wife bought a Bulgakov novel and I bought The Wonderful Land of Oz <laughs> and they stamp it and that was what they would do at the register and it said kilometer zero and I just thought that was really cool uh, he'll be buried at Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris now that is the part that gave me a complete literary hard on because not a everyone is there's a million people buried at Père Lachaise but Père Lachaise has more famous people that I'll be wagered than any fucking uh, uh, cemetery in the goddamn what's the one in uh, uh, near where we used to live uh, Highgate has what Karl Marx there's a couple biggies at Highgate but fucking Père Lachaise try this on Edith Piaf Frederick Chopin Oscar Wilde Balzac Yves Montand uh, fantastically listed here Yves Montand stroke Simone Signoret as if they're buried spooning <laughs> which would have been an awesome my last request is to be buried spooning with Simone Signoret Jim Morrison, uh, Maria Callas, she's not actually buried. She's been fried and put in the columbarium. Sarah Bernhardt, not Sandra Bernhardt, Sarah Bernhardt, the one who had 15,000 goodbye performances. Um, Colette, 
Eloise and Abelard. Now, come on. You, you exactly. Bullshit. I call bullshit on that. That's like saying fucking Antony and Cleopatra are buried there and shit. How do you know it's Eloise and Abelard? That medieval people who wrote letters to each other, the first Romeo and Juliet, they couldn't get together. They had star-crossed love and they have a series of correspondence that's tragic and beautiful and all that. I, did they even exist? Evidently, they did. And they're buried there, awesomely. Uh, Moliere... Uh, Marie uh, Delacroix, the painter, whose museum is awesome. Uh, Proust, uh, whose name is closest to mine, of all French authors. <laughs> so when I'm in Paris, I try to mispronounce my name as quickly as possible <laughs> so that I get a real good table near the Madelines. <laughs> Et monsieur, uh, je m'appelle Proust. <laughs> you can read my uncle's story. It's in a box set. Yeah. I'd like table sur la front. <laughs> and now we'll be able to... Vi- oh, Modigliani, there's more. Modigliani, Pizarro, the painter, and Richard Wright. And I was like, is that Richard Wright, Richard Wright? And fucking it is Richard Wright. It's Richard Wright. The American author. How cool is that to be buried in Père Lachaise? Uh, well, it's Christmas time, and I was watching the other day on... I was watching Turner Classic Movies. I got home, and I was jet-lagged as fuck. So I've been getting up at six in the morning, which is awesome, because you can start drinking at one in the afternoon. And... Um, <laughs> Because it's like nighttime, uh, but for that sun. And uh, and and I was watching. A, they were having a Dickens special the other day, like all Dickens. And I watched uh, part of the Alistair Sims' uh, um, Christmas Carol. And yeah, I wasn't ready for it. I was too tired, and I, I'm too jinky. And I was crying when Tiny Tim was looking in the toy store window. This is about oh I don't know seven minutes into the movie. <laughs> We've just gotten through the credits and Tim's looking in the window and there's like a merry-go-round and a poppin' thing and a puppet and whatnot. And he's like, oh. And then up comes Mrs. Cratchit and goes, oh, it's going to be the biggest turkey your father's ever had, you know, all that. And I was like, you can't walk. Now, it's not like I haven't seen Christmas Carol. I'm aware that Tiny Tim, ostentatiously Tiny Tim by Dickens, says, Tiny Tim, who did not die, he says at the end. And then, of course, we're always shown him at the end of the movie being bounced up and down on Scrooge's shoulder with a bunch of presents hanging off him and shit. I still was like, you're going to fucking die. You're only going to take care of him. I was losing my shit. Also, this one wasn't like the fucking... There's one with Reginald Denny and there's, you know, there's the... George C. Scott Scrooge is fucking awesome. What if General Patton lived in London in the 1840s and ran a counting house, I think is the premise of this one. Uh, we've, at this time of year, it's, it's, it's uh, often thought of to make a provision for the poor. Are the workhouses not in order? God damn it! Rommel, I read your book! <laughs> You're like, wow, that is a heck of... And then Patrick Stewart did a Scrooge a few years ago. I was like, again, Captain Picard in the 1840s, anyone? I don't wish to give. I wish to be left alone. You're like, oh, really? Really? Make it so. That one was freaky. But this one has Alistair Sims, who's hilarious. As funny as Alec Guinness. Really, really funny. But it's harsh. It's a really harsh version. It's a 30s British version, and they made it look poor. Like, you're, there's no, like, levity, you know. I don't know. It was just, uh, it got on me. But what I kept thinking of was, while watching the beginning of it was, maybe the problem with watching Christmas Carol this year is Christmas Carol is a hard-hitting fucking documentary right now. <laughs> it, 
it used to be a movie about a time that we could look back on and think, what was it like when the poor were left to die in the street and shit? And millionaires walked up and down and said fucked up shit and had big dinners and wore coats. In this version of Scrooge, and I'd never seen it before, he's walking down the street, Ebenezer, right? And there's three little kids singing a carol, and there's a little girl, and he shoves her off the fucking sidewalk. Oh, yeah. That's where this one was coming from. And then the other two are like, angels, we have heard on. And he goes, be gone with you. And they fucking run away and shit. And I thought, this is just like now. (laughs) It's like the head of Shearson Lehman coming to your house and going, you know, I know that you haven't been able to pay the rent all year and your job sucks and everything, but I just got a $145 million bonus. This is the best Christmas ever. Uh, And I wanted to read you this. Chief executive pay has roared back after two years of stagnation. America's top bosses enjoyed pay hikes of between 27 and 40% 40 last year. Uh, The top 10 earners took home more than $770 million between them. Uh, 2010 was a great year to lose your job as a CEO. Four of the 10 highest paid were retired or departing. Uh, Let's see. The head of Aetna got $2.5 million in options and made $50 million as a bonus. I know. What I was getting at was this. Uh, God bless us, everyone. (laughs) If you think in the 1840s there were disparity between the rich and the poor, holy kittens. Uh, When I read this, that their wages went up, uh, wages for everybody else have been in decline or stagnated, and, and that's for those who are in work. I had a feeling we'd see some increase, but 30 to 40% was something of a surprise, said the guy who made the study. Really? Huh. It is a bit of a surprise, I guess. Uh, I realize I've stopped the show almost cold dead with that. But it's all I could think of while I was watching Christmas Carol this year. Remember the part where Father Christmas or the, the ghost of Christmas present lists his, uh, uh, his coat and underneath are two ugly, horrible little starving children? And he goes, this is ignorance and want. And uh, Scrooge is like, <laughs> And that's all I can think of uh, right now. Um, when people are living in tents and trying to make a point that there's kind of an inequity between the rich and poor, and I had to hear every single presidential candidate and everyone on the news every night go, don't blame the banks. <laughs> well, who do we blame? Herman Cade said, blame ourselves. But Herman Cain was so Fruit Loopy and quoting fucking Pokemon movies while he was running for president that I don't take his advice as seriously as I might. Although, awesomely, he was quoting a Donna Summer song from a Pokemon movie. It might have been a little more appropriate if he'd quoted some other Donna Summer songs. The one that comes to mind is this. Looking for some hot stuff, baby, this evening. Toot toot. Hey. Beep beep. Bad girl, bad girl. You're such a naughty bad girl. Beep beep. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Uh... All right. Okay. I can see where we're heading here tonight. It's Christmas. I know. But I wanted to read you about this guy who got arrested by the cops at the uh, Occupy movement because he writes for Family Guy. And we've had John DiMaggio in this room here. Oh, no, he's not on Family Guy. He's on Futurama. Fuck me. Uh, anyways, he, he just pointed out that no one uh, – he was thrown to the ground and put in jail for a day. And he's a writer, so you can imagine what he looked like. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and he points out that uh, – let's see. Who is it? The head of uh, – the head of Citigroup, Charles Prince, 
who did all those bad things, buying the bad mortgage loans and all that, never went to jail. But a lot of people from the movement have gone to jail. Uh, four years in charge of massive repeated fraud at Citigroup, he received $53 million in salary and $94 million in stock holdings. What he has not received is a pair of zip cuffs. Uh, face first, each and every peaceful, nonviolent L.A. protester arrested last week has spent more time sleeping on a jail floor than every single Charles Prince on Wall Street combined. That was the sentence I wanted to get to. And Merry Christmas to you. So, speaking of Christmas, Carol... Uh, we have a fabulous sponsor here, Audible. Uh, I'd like to uh, talk about Audible.com. If you go to Audible.com, you can get a free audio book. They have 75,000 titles to choose from. And, of course, they have A Christmas Carol, uh, written, read by Tim Curry, which is unbelievably awesome. Uh, I know, right? I got to meet Tim Curry once, and he was so fucking groovy when I met him. I went to a radio interview he was doing right here in L.A., and he was chain-smoking Marlboros, and he was wearing all black, and he had boots on. He's just like, actually, he's really sexy. And then he was telling all these stories that I'm not going to repeat now. But in any case, I brought an album, a Tim Curry album. Yes, you heard me, an album <laughs> called Read My Lips that he made in, like, 78 or something. Not the one with The Rock. This is actually before I do The Rock, right? If anybody remembers I Do The Rock, oh, which yeah. was his big novelty. Oh, yeah. What is it? Baby Ruth and Dizzy Dean and all that, right? He's singing it. Kind of a fucked up Jamaican accent. No, <laughs> it's stimulating. Sunshine! Right, so in that one, this is the album before that, and it was called uh, uh, Read My Lips. And he, um, he sings uh, hilariously uh, Joni Mitchell's All I Want on it, but it's Tim Curry, so it's I'm on a lonely road. And I am trouble. You know, it's fantastically. And there's some Burt Bacharach on there and shit. Uh, Anyone who had a heart, boom, boom, right, you know. So, Greg, you're not gay, are you? I make no case for this. I owned a audiblepodcast.com slash smartest. Thank you for that, Matt. I knew I read it wrong. Audible, I can't see very well. Audiblepodcast.com slash smartest. I always say stroke smartest, and then people freak out. Audiblepodcast.com slash smartest is where you go to get your free audio book. In any case, Tim Curry reads this, but I can't do Tim Curry. So uh, I'm going to read this as George Saunders. (laughs) That's going to lose a lot of the crowd already that we've lost, but I don't care anymore. George Saunders played Addison DeWitt in All About Eve, for those of you trying to... He was also Mr. Freeze on the Batman program and Shere Khan, uh, the voice of Shere Khan in the cartoon of the Jungle Book. Um, Marley was dead to begin with. There was no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was upon... Change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. (laughs) Mind, I don't mean to say that I know of my own knowledge. What there is particularly dead about a doornail? I might have been inclined myself to record a coffin nail as the deadest piece of ironmongery in the trade, but the wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile, and in my unhallowed hands shall not disturb it, or the country is done for. You will therefore permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was as dead as a doornail. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's loads more of the book. And if you download it, you can hear Tim Curry read it. And hopefully he reads it in the Rocky Horror voice the whole way through. (laughs) Come up to the lab. (laughs) And see what's on the slab. I have no idea what that is. 
uh, I had a lot more things I was going to go into tonight, but I can sense with this Christmas feel in the air that people are like, you know, enough with the fucking politics. Uh, and I kind of agree. So many shitty things have happened this year. I picked up a Time Magazine retrospective of the year, and on the cover, of course, was... Um, it went through, like, everything that's happened in the year. And uh, there was a, the royal wedding picture on the cover. And uh, I, I watched the royal wedding as much as anyone else. And I, uh, I watched it in New Zealand, which was fantastic, because I think it was a day after it happened. I don't know what fucking time zone New Zealand's in, but I don't think it was happening simultaneously. Uh, if it was, it was in its sh- a ship paradigm shift, and they were actually younger. When I, I know I felt younger while I was watching them. And at the time, I said the reason why England is so great at things like royal weddings is um, they do the past very well because they kept the costumes. <laughs> but when you think about this year, normally in a year when there would be a royal wedding of that magnitude, it really would be one of the biggest things that happened in the year. But this year, it's not even in the top 15 fucking things that happened this year. I mean, we've ended the year with such a fucking flurry of... Uh, Penn State and uh, Michael Jackson's doctor getting jail time. What it was two years after the? It has been four. How many longs have been? Just two. Just two. Someone said four. Did I? Do I hear six? <laughs> I'll start the bidding at four. Yes, he got four. It's been two years. Don't trick me with math. <laughs> He was only trying to help him sleep. <laughs> We've ended with such an amazing flurry of shit that I can't believe it. Uh, uh, that the, the royal wedding really doesn't even rank. I mean, I think the Kardashian wedding ranks higher than the royal wedding, frankly. <laughs> because I went into that one with such high hopes. When someone the magnitude of Chris Card- uh, uh, which one is she? Cam. Uh, right, there's the little one, the one that looks like Curious George. <laughs> Courtney. Then there's the big one, the Sasquatch one. The one that married Lamar Odom. And then Lamar Odom just got traded to the fucking Mavs, right? Uh, which, of course, he's going to avoid the Clipper curse of having an untimely death or having his arm fall off or whatever the... <laughs> fucking weirdest shit. The Clippers are like H.P. Lovecraft's team. I don't, I don't know what connects the Clippers to Cthulhu, but as soon as you join the Clippers, my pineal gland, it's coming out of my head. Like, I don't know why Clippers die so frequently, but there's a horrible, horrible stigma attached to being a Clipper. So Lamar is a, and then Lamar was being a big dick about it. And she, well, first of all, pl- could everyone stop saying they're taking their talents different places? Yeah, you're a fucking ball player. Now, I'm as much for ball players getting as much money as they want. I'm not one of those people. I was watching him mm, after the basketball strike was over. I was in a hotel room, and this is why I was watching it. I'm giving you the context so that when I tell you what I was watching, you don't come down on me like a ton of judgmental fucking Lego. (laughs) At the the Tilt-A-Whirl Judgment ride at Legoland. Why did you do that? 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 What were you thinking? What were you thinking? Uh, I was in a hotel room. I can't remember where I was, but I had Piers Morgan on, okay? Now, I know what you're thinking. Piers Morgan, but how did they teach an asshole to talk? Uh, 
he was an asshole when he was in England. He's an asshole here. He's like a sub Tina Brown asshole. That's the kind of asshole we're talking about here. We're talking about someone who would literally scuttle across the fucking what did T. S. Eliot say? I scuttle across the fucking ocean's floor to to nip at a tidbit that Courtney Kardashian's colorist had left. <laughs> He is the most egregious, unctuous type of undulating fucking annelid worm uh, that TV can provide. And, 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 and not that fitting of a successor. Larry King hadn't been Compass Menace since mm, 87, 88. Right after he shot the Ghostbusters movie, I think, is when Larry checked out. But if you'd done as much coke as Larry had done in Miami in the old days, you would have trouble keeping your fucking frontal lobes from clanging together like brass balls on a fucking businessman's desk, too. So they got this Piers guy because he'll uh, go deep, deep inside anyone's crack and explore superficially like a, an undersea fish with a light on its head, you know? It's just one of those fish that lives where the bathosphere goes in the Marianas Trench. I'm inside Khloe Kardashian's anus and it's as clean as a whistle, you know? So, he, I can't remember who he had on, but they got onto the NBA strike and I swear to fucking Christ on a cracker, on a crutch that the cat fucking dragged in during the nativity while the donkey fucking spoke and the pig played maracas and the fucking wise men played the walking bass line that everyone grooved to so freely on the night that the stars shone and the shepherds fucking didn't speak Hebrew but spoke Aramaic all of a sudden. He fucking goes... Well, uh, they, should, uh, they should be glad to get played, uh, paid to play basketball. I mean, they're all millionaires, aren't they? I mean, it's a child's game. They should be glad to play. Whoa, 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 whoa. Piers, or whatever the fuck you call yourself. First of all, no one's named Piers, okay? You gave yourself the name. You're the sting of fucking shitty tabloid. Unctuous lick spittles. No one's named Piers. You gave yourself the name because a Piers is, is a small erection in a saline pool. <laughs> Secondly, um, only 600 people. How many people are in the NBA? I don't even know how many teams there are. Let's say there's about five, 600 guys in that union. They are the five or 600 best fucking people that play basketball in the world. The world. Um, but what about the other countries? Yeah, they come here to play. The ones that go to France and Italy and shit like that, they're on the way down or the way up, right? That's who fucking goes to play in other countries from our country. The 500 guys, 600 guys that play football, that play baseball, that play basketball, those are very tight-knit unions. They're stronger unions than any teacher's union, than any fucking show business union. And believe me, sports is show business as much as any type of show business. Why is sports show business, Greg? Because it's shown on TV all the fucking time. And what's the biggest part of sports? Of, of sports when they show the championship games on TV everybody watches them and then they go Gillette the best a man can get an erection when a girl's in a bikini <laughs> brought to you by Heartstoppers stick them in your aorta cause you'll never see 60 <laughs> and stuff from Sears no one's been to Sears in 40 years except for the people who are watching this fucking game cause they hate their family that's what fucking sports are about. So, 
if you are one of the 600 people in the world that does something better than anyone else, say you're a heart surgeon, a necromancer, a steeplejack, a sand hog, a jewelry maker, then doesn't it stand to reason that you should be able to negotiate to whatever the free market can bear within the confines of the construct of the financial system within which you are seeking fucking gainful employment? Well, I would think it would as a rational human being who's worked and paid taxes my whole cocking life since I was 15 years old. How dare you sit there, peers? First of all, let me point something out. A million people could do what you do. I'm sitting in a room in Hollywood right now. There's 18 people in this room right now that could do better than you, peers, that are more curious, more in possession of the facts, are better read, know what they're talking about more, know who they're actually talking to, which American celebrity they're talking to, instead of you, who cursorily looked at the notes and went, why are they famous? Oh, Harry Potter. All right. I detest when people go, I'd play sports for nothing if they gave... No, you fucking wouldn't, because you're not a fucking moron, okay? You wouldn't do anything for free if you didn't have to. Whatever job it is you possess, and I hope you possess a job, if you had the ability to go to your boss at the end of your three-year contract and go, I want $15 million with a $2 million bump, a bonus clause for MVP, and I want a weight clause if I keep my weight down. And I want a million dollars for when I keep my weight down for that. You would fucking do it. You would fucking do it. Don't tell me you wouldn't fucking do it. Don't insult my intelligence. Don't be a fucking douchebag, okay? You wouldn't play sports for free because people don't play sports for free. They're professional. If you wanted to play sports for free, you'd do the big high mogul thing that they do in the Winter Olympics that I've never seen anyone make... Or, 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 or you'd be a Falun Gong player or whatever the fuck. I don't know. I'm sure there's a few amateur sports left. Does anyone make money pole vaulting? I shouldn't think so. It just really fried my bacon into a fucking horrible black calcified sulfurous puck of fucking bitterness and vitriol that Piers Morgan took time out of his busy schedule of being a fucking chunt to... <laughs> to bang on the NBA players because they dared to negotiate for more money. Here's the fucking deal. Whatever money players are getting playing sports, whatever money actors are getting being on TV shows and movies, that's how much they can get. Do you understand? In other words, the company that's employing them isn't like, fuck, if we give him an extra $5,000, we're going to fucking go belly up. These are giant corporations that make entertainment. Therefore, they have the money. They wouldn't even consider giving them the millions of dollars to begin with if they didn't have the money. And further, they wouldn't have considered giving them the money ever unless the unions had broken everything over 40 fucking years ago and forced their hand. They never opened their books. The Dodgers are about to be sold this week. And Frank McCord, who I've gone off of a thousand times, my only wish is that there were Puritan stocks still available and that we punish people by putting them in the town square because I would put Frank McCourt on Oliveira Street downtown with his feet and hands and head through fucking stocks and just have Latino fucking Dodger fans throw shit at him all day long 
he, the reason why the last deal hasn't gone down with the Dodgers and the uh, group wants to buy them is he won't open the books because the books are like a, a crock pot. All that you see when you open his books are like celery and potatoes bubbling up and shit like that and bat's heads, eye of newt and toe of frog and whatnot. Oh my goodness. Uh, I don't know what made me think of Pierce Morgan, but I can't believe that he said that shit. It was Lamar Odom, and I know where we're going with this. So, uh, uh, Courtney, uh, Kim got married this year to the other uh, basketball player who no one knows who he is or what team he plays for. (laughs) But then, no one's quite sure what it is Kim does. We know what she did do because we've all seen the video. And after a few minutes, frankly, it's a bit clinical. Thank you. You're titillated briefly, and then you're like, really? Also, people who call each other baby that much at a certain point, you're like, dude, get some more fucking game. I thought you were a fifth-string rapper that no one bought records by. Surely you've got more than her, baby. Uh, In any case... um, Her wedding really was the wedding of the year because not only did it play out exactly as we thought it would, um, I think this might be, I think we might be heading toward the Paris Hilton finish line on this one. (laughs) I couldn't help but notice that after uh, she uh, broke it off and and all the nonsense has gone down and and everything with the Kardashian wedding that she's heading for that I'd better get arrested soon territory. (laughs) It's either rehab, a country record, or an arrest. What do we have? We're at 40, really? Holy kittens. Uh, the, uh, I, I think the best Christmas special is the Charlie Brown one. Um, and then possibly the Rudolph one. I don't think I've watched any of the new ones. I did, I, I, I've watched the, is it Jack Frost? Because often I am the heat miser. Uh, but the, uh, when I was little, we were watching Rudolph once. And um, this will give you an idea of how long ago this was. The TV broke down. Uh, TVs, used to, TVs used to break. Uh, now you turn them on, and they don't go on forever and ever and ever. And then they finally go on, and then there's all this shit, this like writing and fucking things informing you of shit that you didn't know was happening. And then eventually the TV and all the other devices catch up to one another, and then they all coincide, and then they all sort of play together. There was a time when you turned the TV on, and it went boom, and it went on. And then when you turn it off, it went boom, and the, and the picture went and sucked into a little pill and then evaporated. And yeah, it didn't take a year for the channel to change. And it, no, you, didn't, you had no information what channel was coming up next because there were only five fucking channels. There were three network channels and two crappy independent channels that were bound to show old movies in the afternoon or all night long. And uh, we were watching Rudolph, and uh, the TV went out, bunk, and I started crying. I think I was like six or mm, 40. (laughs) This was 2008. I was little, and my dad ran down and got another TV. I have no idea how the fuck he did it. I know. It, might, it was probably like 8 o'clock at night or whatever, but I guess, I guess he woke the guy up or whatever. In those days, there were TV and radio sh- stores, and they would be called like Arts, TV, and Radio. Sometimes spelled, my uncle had a store that was Ray D-O, uh? R-A-Y, Ray D-O. 
TV and Ray D.O. And I used to love going into his store because, uh, like all uncles, he had never, ever moved anything or cleaned anything in 45 years. So there were fucking, like, I wish I had them. There were radio sets that had, like, you know, Marconi w- picture on them, you know, like, uh, you know, just a, br- a br- like a Leiden jar with, like, a lightning rod on it. You know, a carrier pigeon in the corner, you know. He had some old ass fucking sets. And uh, yeah, in Mesa, Arizona, it was covered with dust uh, and, and nothing had ever moved. And I thought, how, do you, how does anyone trust you to fix a TV when you've never moved any of your inventory in your shop? Surely when people come in and see the sideways TV upside down and the other one where your ashtray's on it, they go, maybe you're not the most diligent mechanic in the world. Maybe you're not even the most diligent person in Mesa, Arizona. <laughs> Uh, so we finished the, uh, and I reminded me that Rudolph's an hour long because my dad actually got back in time that we could watch the denouement. What does he say? Uh, this fog is as thick as pea soup. Uh, this fog is as thick as peanut butter. You mean pea soup? You eat what you like, and I'll eat what I like. Um, yeah, uh, the island of misfit toys and all that. I know, right? There's a Frosty the Snowman too, one isn't there? That one's a cartoon, though, right? That one's not a stop-action bizarro. The stop-action ones really take the cake for weird. Because the water and the snow are just weird pieces of fabric and shit like that. And then, yeah, it's pretty freaky. Uh, and then the, the, the Rudolph one has a couple of good jams. Burl Lives sings Holly Jolly Christmas and shit. But then there's that heinous one... Um, there's always tomorrow. And you're like, really? Even when you're little, you're like, I don't care if she dies kind of during that one. <laughs> if there was an avalanche during Clarissa's song, I wouldn't, you know, I want her to live, but Clarice, I know, don't get on my dick. Um, we take questions here, and they're not at audiblepodcast.com slash smartest. That's where you can get your free audio download. They're at uh, smartest at a special thing.com if you want to email us. Uh, next week, we'll be taking the week off, but then we'll be in San Francisco on December 28th or 29th. December 29th, we'll be doing the podcast from the Punchline uh, Comedy Club there. And we'll be at the Punchline all weekend. So visit us there over the New Year's weekend. Then we're back in Los Angeles. We're here at Bar Lubitsch, what, on the 5th, 12th? Oh, he's checking. 11th. The 11th. And then we're at the Meltdown on, I think, the 15th. Nerd Melt over at the comic book store. That'll be fun. And once again, I'll pretend that I read comic books. <laughs> Instead of just books that are comical. Uh, so visit us at those places. I don't read the... What was it? Oh, Sketchfest in San Francisco. We'll also be doing it there a couple nights in Sketchfest. Go online and look up Sketchfest. Everyone groovy is going to be there ever. Someone called it a nerd bucket list. Uh huh. Someone whose imagination was somewhat trammeled, <laughs> fettered. Uh, Proopcast questions. I don't read them beforehand. I'm going to read them now. Let's see. Taylor asks. Taylor, well, you're you're trapped on a planet that's controlled by apes. No one believes that you've crash landed from a place inhabited by humans because of the collar you wear. Thank you. Three people ever saw the original fucking Planet of the Apes in this room. Well, I saw Rise of the Apes. No. Charlton Heston's so fucking good in the first one, man. Everyone you know has been dead for 300 years. There's a statue of you in the town square that's rusted. 
You wanted immortality. How does it taste? <laughs> Tiger. And he lights a cheroot. That is fucking good. And what does he say? It's a madhouse. It's a bloody madhouse. <laughs> fucking that movie is so good. Taylor. Uh, Taylor asks, good evening, your highness. Good evening to you. Please rise. What does Christmas mean to you? Well, I think it means a lot of things. Uh, mostly, it means, uh, you know, people talking out there. <laughs> Choking, of course. Do what you like. It's a fucking saloon. It's a saloon in West Hollywood across from the pleasure chest. I don't know how pretentious I can get, really. Uh, Christmas uh, is, uh, I don't know. I guess it's a time where instead of driving like an asshole, you should drive nice for two seconds. I would like it if people were patient ever during fucking Christmas. But what Christmas seems to do to people is makes everyone real agitated and feel kind of on edge. And I wish it didn't. I think the, finally, when you get to Christmas Day and you can kind of calm down a little bit, it's all right. Uh, this year, what Christmas means is don't bother buying anyone anything, okay? It's cool. Uh, don't send anyone anything. Don't bother to buy anyone anything. Fucking call them a couple days before Christmas and go, I, I like you. That's what Christmas means this year. This is, I am personally alleviating everyone of Christmas this year. I, what did Salieri say? Mediocrities of the world, I absolve you. I, for everyone, I absolve you of Christmas this year. Yes, whether you believe a baby was born in a manger on December 25th in the year zero. <laughs> and all that other shit you've got to stretch to believe. Whatever it is you believe, believe this. Don't fucking worry about it this year. Uh, uh, occupy the nativity is what I say. <laughs> Pitch a tent inside the tent. Uh, thank you, Taylor, for asking. It would be nice if people were nice for two fucking seconds, but I don't see it happening. Uh, but they will, they will. On Christmas Day, they'll, a star will shine and everyone will realize what a fuck rat they've been and then the next day they'll get up and it'll be okay. Uh, Sean asks, mine hair proop. Ah, duction. Uh, what's one thing America is doing right and one thing Canada's doing wrong? Well, bacon. Uh... <laughs> Bacon, bacon never stops, really. And I'll go one further on that. I'll say two things America's doing right. Um, the, the patty sausages, I love those. I don't love the link ones as much as I love patty. And especially if I'm in the South, I was just in Atlanta. Patty sausages with, like, fucking red-eye gravy. Um, get the fuck out of town and change your major. One thing Canada's doing wrong? There's a lot of things Canada's doing wrong. First of all, they say mum and zed, which is just embarrassing. Uh, no, Canada's not doing that much wrong. They're okay. They, they saved themselves from a banking scandal. I mean, their prime minister's a douchebag. Is that something they're doing wrong? All of our leaders are douchebags. So to say that they have one shitty leader that's a douchebag is nothing in the comprehensive ocean of douchebaggery that is the fucking government of this country. I mean, Newt Ginrich is at a debate tonight expecting to be taken seriously with that weird fucking medieval oaf lesbian haircut that he's got going on. That's the country I'm living in. So how am I to throw a fucking snow cone at Canada 
Rick Perry's wearing Texas cufflinks and going, I can't remember shit, and I like to kill people. And Mitt Romney is asking the question again after four years, why won't anyone fucking vote for me? Why doesn't anyone like me? You're a Mormon and you act like a fucking Christian game show host. That's why no one's going to vote for you. And your little right-wing Christian demographic NASCAR fucking gun-toting, uh, homo-hating, swirling, baby-loving fucking base hates you for being a fucking Mormon because they're not down with amphibian-based religion. <laughs> Canada's not doing anything. All right, Tim Hortons. Uh, this is, don't switch if you're listening in Canada right now. I know you guys worship Timmy's. The donuts aren't that good. All right, I'll just say that. They're not that good. Krispy Kremes are better than Timmy's. They are. They're sweeter. Krispy Kremes are like this frosted flakes of donuts. You know, you eat one and you're like, ah! you know, you're, ah! there's so much sugar in the roof of your mouth and your eyes and you, Tim Hortons, you, you bite into the maple bar and the maple falls off the bar and you're like, who fucking adhered this to the dough? Pierre, Pierre, yes, Pierre, and une question, Pierre. Pierre inquires, Seigneur Prupe et gentil bon vivant. Ah, what's your favorite punctuation mark? Well, as you know, I've raged, raged against the exclamation point. I detest the semicolon. Not that fond of the colon, quite frankly. Um... I, I think uh, the, uh, the quotation marks might be my favorite because they're difficult, hard to use, but effective. Uh, my favorite author never uses them, Cormac McCarthy. No quotation marks ever. He never attributes who's talking at all, ever. It's up to you to guess who the fuck is talking. <laughs> um, I'm going to say quotation mark. You know what actually my favorite uh, punctuation mark is? The, I don't know how to pronounce it. Not the umlaut, but the two dots. Does anyone know what that's called? What is it? Isn't the umlaut the, the use? What's that one? Oh, that's an enye. Then, I did, then an umlaut. An umlaut. Because, it, was it Dokken? So many bad 80s. So many bad 80s groups used umlauts in their names. And that makes rock better. If a group had an umlaut in their name, you knew they were going to fucking try a little extra harder. Umlaut is my favorite punctuation mark. Uh, I, if you, a, a lot of people use exclamation points. I use them, but they're unnecessary. Uh, Anthony, thank you, Pierre. Uh, merci, Pierre. Dernier, Greg. Anthony asks, Hail Sir Gregory of Proopingham. Whoa. Are, are we stretching it to the... I can read through that one. When, comma, if ever, comma, is a codpiece acceptable attire? When you're a king in the 16th century. Outside of then, never. Unless you are, in fact, a cod. If you swim in the northern sea between Iceland and Europe, anything you wear is cool with me. Uh, let's see. Uh, dear Edgar... Edgar, uh, Edgar asks, I knew your brother Edmund. Thank you. Out, vile jelly. I knew all your sisters, Cordelia and Goneril and Reagan. Um, 
Thank you. One person's read Shakespeare. The rest of you illiterates fucking go home. Uh, okay. What, Edgar asks, Dear Grand Imperial Master of All That Is Just, Right, and Kitten-like. Huh. I like that title. What is the best meal to accompany a healthy-sized Dibby? First of all, I'm just glad to hear Dibby back. <laughs> you don't know me, but I'm your brother. Are you telling me the things you don't do for me? I ain't blind and I don't like what Taking it to the Taking it to the Taking it to the uh, I haven't called it a doobie ever in my life Nor have I called it a JJ or, or a bone uh, Usually it's, it's a joint uh, um, I, My best friend Warren used to say You want to hack a bone um, uh, The best meal to accompany a health-sized doobie Situational, Edgar, situational uh, if you're lucky and you live at, with my wife, then uh, I would say delicious shrimp with broccoli. But that's not going to happen in your life, Edgar, because you live at home and you wear a weird coat. <laughs> For you, I'm going to suggest Chinese food ordered from the corner. It's a place called Yet Wah. You haven't ordered from there yet, but it's okay. If you're driving and you're in SoCal... Uh, I would kick into the fat burger and get the fat deal with the fat fries. If I were you. If you don't want to get out of the fucking car, I would go to the in and out but just know that it might be 25 minutes before you get through the fucking line. I would get a double-double cheese, animal fries, and a chocolate shake. Drink the shake first, because Liz Taylor died for your sins. Uh... Tom, Thom, T H O M, Thom. Oh, like the guy from Radiohead. I know people like Radiohead, but you know the theme of this show. I am bound to shit on something you love, whether it's Christmas or whatever it is. There's something you love, and you think, "Oh, I hope Greg loves that too," and then. I don't care for Radiohead. If you like them, I'm cool with you. It's not like if you liked Bush or something. You know what I mean? I mean, if you like Bush, you're just completely insupportable. It's like you and who? The people in Bush? And, and even then, not every member of the group Bush actually likes the group Bush. So you're really on shaky fucking thin ice on that one. You're on a bridge over the Orinoco that's just recently been erected that's just held together with the finest kind of twine. <laughs> but I, 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 uh, I'm not, I don't approve of Tom spelled with a T-H, but I understand. Uh, I assume your name is Thomas, but that you have shortened it to Chom. My name is Gregory, but I don't make you say that every goddamn time. Thom asks, I, the reason why I object to Radiohead, they have a couple good jams, and I don't think they're untalented. It's because they called one of their albums, OK, comma, computer. That's not a good name for an album. It's not a good name for anything. Even if a computer that you were making was called an OK brand computer, it would be a shitty name for that. Here's what are good names for albums, Greg? Uh, I'll yeah, I know them. 
Uh, I think you'll find Frampton comes alive. Because up until then, apparently, Frampton in a torpor. Sedentary at best. During the Frampton's camel period, almost somnambulant. Then about 76, wake up, hello. It's all right, something's happening. Uh, and then, of course, <laughs> unsupportable talk box. That's a pretty groovy name. Um, Jimi Hendrix, are you experienced? That's a fucking good name for an album. And they're all looking down at you wearing like reflective purple clothing and shit. That's an album that asks you a question when you buy it. You pick it up and it says, are you experienced? And you're like, fuck, I don't think I am. And then you listen to it. And at the end of the song, are you experienced? When he says, not necessarily stone, but beautiful. You're like, I can, uh, now I dig. Uh, you don't care for me. I don't care about that. Uh, that's a good name for an album. I think What's Going On by Marvin Gaye is uh, another question poised at you. Uh, I think the album by Led Zeppelin, Houses of the Holy, um, because of the impenetrable blonde children that are climbing a Mayan pyramid inside... <laughs> certainly poses more questions than it answers. I'll go even further. I'd say that the Spice Girls' second album, which I don't remember the name of. (laughs) I do remember they say this in one of their songs. Um, They go, uh, what is it? They go, something, there's some kind of dance, Moengi or whatever, Lombada. And then the next line is, to hip-hop is hada. And you think, it's a good thing I'm not an executioner of lyricists. Because the guillotine is sharpened and waiting for the person who rhymed lambada with hada. There is a place for you on a pike in hell. I don't care if you're fucking immobilized up your butt forever with a fucking pike. You rhymed Hada and Lombada, and I'm not having it. Tom asks, Tom, is it? Tom asks, Paul's Boutique or Check Your Head? Oh, good question. There's so much to say for both albums. I think I'm going to have to go Paul's Boutique because it's the second album, and because it comes after License to Ill and is so sampley oriented, it seemed like it was them trying to break away from themselves. The thing is, I've discussed about the Beastie Boys so often is they've never changed their rhyme scheme. It's always to the lime, to the lime, to the lemon, to the lemon, to the lime. They are not fucking breaking new ground on schemes. But any group that says I got mad hits like I was Rod Carew and shit like that, and I mean, they just have all the rhymes. Uh, I, I love Check Your Head because it's got what you, what you, what you want. And um, I would actually say ill communication above Check Your Head, if I dare say that. I know I've gone out on a limb with that one. Uh, but I think ill communication really uh, kicks the butt around. Paul's Boutique is awesome because at one point they go, it's called Paul's Boutique and it's in Brooklyn. <laughs> That's a song you're supposed to listen to on the album. A guy saying. And it has the immortal lyric, Doris the Finkasaurus. The Finkasaurus. Next you're going to call me a schnook. 
<laughs> Thank you, Thom. Uh, Tom, is it? John asks, who are the other synoptic gospels? Uh, no, John, it's not that John. Thank you. One person's read the goddamn Bible. I know who that is. It's my friend Ronnie. He went to school in the Bahamas, so I know he read the goddamn Bible. At the end of a stick. W- wielded by a lady in a uniform, no doubt. Mark, Matthew, Luke, blah, blah, blah. So uh, John asks, uh, and he spells his name John O-H-N, which I approve of. Unlike the T-H-O-M of Thom, it's the J-O-Ns that leave me wanting. When your name is J-O-N without the H, I think, are you a Viking? Are you actually Hyun? Shouldn't you be right now on a leather canoe hunting narwhal with a spike you figured from your own carving? And what about the women of your tribe? Should they not be chewing sinew to make it soft so that mucklucks can be made so that we may all survive the winter? Yone. The H really whites it up. Am I wrong? It really whites it up. Because uh, when it's John, it's John. Oh, one name's John. John asks, Surely in the Bible days... People weren't really named Matt and John. <laughs> and I, I did just as Khloe Kardashian would have just then called them the Bible days. <laughs> as opposed to 2,000 years ago during Tiberius' reign in the Roman Empire. First of all, Jesus was certainly not named Jesus. Jesus Christ is a Greek appellation given to him après le fact. If there was a fact. Secondly, his name was probably what? Ishwa? With a Y, I'm guessing? Something like that. I don't even think Jerusalem was called Jerusalem then. It was like Urshulam or something. Things change, you guys. I love that in the Bible, people are named Teddy. I mean, some names, yes. Ruth. There was a Ruth then. I guarantee you there was a Ruth. There was a Ruth who lived next door to me when I went to college. No relation. But no one was named fucking John. John the Baptist's name was like, Chach. And they didn't even speak Latin. They spoke Hebrew. Uh, his question is, these are so many comparison ones. Ham on Ryan. Gaius Julius Caesar or Caesar Augustus. How much time do we have left? Oh, Christ on a cracker. Shoot up a fucking flare. I'm, I'm, I've completely crawled inside myself here. Uh, Gaius Julius Caesar or Caesar Augustus? The question is, Gaius Julius Caesar or Caesar Augustus? What that means is, Julius Caesar, Julius Caesar, Julius Caesar, the one who was uh, cut down on the Ides of March, who was actually only dictator very briefly, uh, that one who was killed in 44, or uh, Caesar Augustus, which is his adopted nephew, who was Octavian and then becomes Augustus, who was emperor for like 60 years. That's what he means by that. I'll just translate that into fucking human talk. (laughs) Well, it's a judgment call. (laughs) Augustus said, I found the city wood and I left it marble. Um, 
just briefly, Caesar I always loved because he's heedless. You can't imagine a person like Caesar living now. He, at the age of 40, was finally given a post and went to France and thought, I've got to do something spectacular to make me huge in Rome. I have to be rich and get... He chased pussy with something close to a fucking religion and nailed every fucking senator's wife. And apparently when he was a junior officer and was sent to Bithynia, which is in Turkey, uh, had sex with the king there, which chased him his whole life. People always said Caesar had fucked this king and shit. So when the troops marched behind him in triumphs, they always sang funny songs about the generals. They would sing, hide your fucking uh, husband's... What was it? Um, Husband to every man, uh, man to every wife, right? Like that's what they'd say about Caesar, that he would would bat for both teams. Uh... He, at 40, went to France and killed somewhere in the neighborhood of a couple million French people and took all their money and all their booty and went back to Rome and then was fucking dictator for a while. And I just don't see anyone doing that in this day and age unless they're Dick Cheney. He wouldn't have the actual personal fortitude to go and lead at the front of the troops. That's the difference. When the battles were being fought, Caesar would come out in the middle in a red cloak and fucking everybody, I'm here on the pitch, and fucking stab guys and shit and pick up soldiers and go, who will fight with me? That was the kind of weird shit they got up to then. Uh, Caesar Augustus never attended a battle in his life. When they beat uh, Cleopatra and Antony at Actium, he was apparently sick on the ship. I mean, every Philippi, like, there's no battle Augustus shows up for, but he had generals who did it for him. Um, However, he did rule for like 60 years, and that's the golden age of Rome, other than not allowing any poets to say anything bad ever about him uh, and liking to fuck young girls. Um, I think the good quality about Augustus was, what did they say? He drank less and he drank little and ate less. He would eat like a few little raisins and a fig or whatnot. And he didn't drink at all, whereas Caesar could have a drink. Uh, Although not like Alexander. I'm going to say Augustus. uh, No, I'm going to say Caesar because I like him more. (laughs) And by the way, Rome doesn't look like any of the places you see in the movies when you think of these two people. (laughs) Holy shit, that was awesome. (laughs) I hope none of my fucking beloved vodka bottles got broken that. You okay there, baby? That was exciting. If, if only there'd been a huge laugh, then I could have ended the show right on that conflagration of glassware breaking. You don't really see that happen that often down here. And that wasn't a quake or anything, was it? No. Okay, thank fuck. Because I, I, the uh, seismic reactor inside my booty has gone off. So if there had been a quake then, I don't think I would have registered it. I think I'd bored everyone so completely fuckless with the Caesar question that like the movie Carrie, the bottles moved of their own accord. (laughs) All right, one last question, then we're going to fuck off into the night. And I wish you all a very Merry Christmas, and we'll be in uh, San Francisco for New Year's, and then back here in Los Angeles. Uh, for next year and then back in San Francisco for Sketchfest at the end of January. And I invite you to download the show uh, on proofcast.com for free anytime you wish. Paul asks, everybody's biblical tonight. (laughs) Paul formerly Saul of Tarsus. Uh, Imperatus, I didn't make this up and I don't fucking read them beforehand. Imperatus of all hip felines. I know you've traveled a lot for work. That's a statement. Let's hope the next part's a question. Don't make me fucking fuck with you on the road to Damascus, Paul. Don't make me ask you to write a letter to the Corinthians, Paul. Does no one read the Bible anymore? 
Wasn't it Robert Plant who said, doesn't anyone remember laughter? <laughs> what was your most surreal tourist experience? Easy. My wife and I were in Turkey, and uh, the country, and uh, we were down near Antalya. In fact, we were in Antalya. And then we rode over to a, another place. We had a little German... Or we had a Reno or some fucking nonsense. In any case, we drove down to this place called the Camara. And the Camara... Um, is where the chimera is a, a mythical beast that breathes fire and has, I don't know, what did Woody Allen say, the head of a social worker and the body of a lion or whatever. <laughs> it really does have like the head of a goat and the feet of a griffin and the thing of a dragon and blah, blah, blah. It's a, a multi-parted animal. In any case, the chimera breathes fire. So we, we go to this place and we're driving along and we're like, let's go to the chimera. It was in the guidebook. And we, we were completely lost and we go by land past a place called Olympos, right? Because uh, Turkey was most Greek in those days. And uh, we pitch up at this place and there's tree houses everywhere. Uh, tree houses, like big ones, you know, like uh, not like Charlie Brown, but fucking tree houses you could stay in. And we pitch up and the dude is fucking uh, English and his girlfriend's Canadian. In the middle of fucking nowhere in Turkey, there's a bunch of Turkish guys drinking apple tea. And he goes, oh, hey, mate. And I'm like, do you have any food? And he goes, well, we're not really open yet. And I'm like, well, even though you're not open, could you fucking give us tea and feed us? So they did. I'm glad you find that not funny. Um, I thought it was funny at the time. He gives us some candy bars and he gave us tea. And he goes, I'm, I built a hotel here. And these are the rooms, right? The tree houses people are supposed to stay in these tree houses uh, overnight in Turkey in a tree house in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, that's an awesome idea. Uh, where's the chimera? And he goes, well, you can walk and it's about two and a half hours and you go past Olympos and there's ruined Greek ruins in the beach there, just like Planet of the Apes. They've done it, the <laughs> bastards, they've done it. <laughs> or you can drive your ass back and go the other way and then you walk up a hill. So my wife and I get back in the rain now and we drive over and through rivers, right? Like, you know, you're on the road in Turkey. You think, all right, how many chances am I supposed to take? I'm with my wife. First of all, you're driving down roads that are so steep and shit that we were like crying in fear. <laughs> goats all over the road and you're like you're so close to falling down a 500 foot precipice into the green Mediterranean that you're like <laughs> and of course I'm like it's cool like you know I'm inside <laughs> my hands are sweating so um, uh, in any case we get there we drive through a river a couple of rivers and you're like man I hope this Renault makes it through the fucking river I'm just gonna fucking gun it like evil Knievel and see what come happens here <laughs> and then oh it wasn't that deep thank fuck because you know that you always you want you don't want to be the person on the news who well here's an unlucky person who's going to have an unhappy Christmas, and you see their fucking Toyota banging against the side of the embankment the whole time because they tried to cross the river when it was swollen and they had so we walk up this hill and there's little rocks there's no signs or anything rocks stacked like three two one pointing toward which way the chimera is. It's getting dark. It's getting too dark. And my wife's bitching me out. And, and I'm bitching her out. And we're like, <laughs> get to the top of the hill. And there's a field of about 100 yards. And there's flames coming out of the ground like an oven. Giant blue and orange fucking flames making that noise. <laughs> but I mean this fucking high, right? Three and a half, four fucking feet high. Giant fucking flames coming out of a rocky field everywhere in the ground. There is a Turkish child boiling tea over one of these eternal flames. And he goes, you want a beer? In English. And I'm like, no, I'm good. That was pretty surreal. 
The smartest man in the world, Proof Cast, will join you once more on December 29th in San Francisco. I want to thank you all very much for coming out. Happy holidays to everyone. Happy Proofless, Vodcast Good night. Yeah.